When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to The Price of Football, the show that looks at the money behind the beautiful game with me, Kevin Day, and Liverpool University's Kieran Maguire. Kieran, it's Newsday, and of course the first big news story is that the Carabao Cup is a Mickey Mouse trophy, as we've suspected all along. Let's not mention it again, Kieran. Let's not talk about it. Okay, that's fine by me. Good. We've not played in it so far because we've been in Europe. Yeah, because you're too big a club to to dabble in the early rounds of something tiny like the Carabao Cup. Of course you are. That's the Mickey Mouse competition. You're you're, you're better off out of it. (laughs) Where are you, Kieran? Just a little bit of context. Our listeners like to know where you are from time to time. Uh, Well, I'm I'm back in Liverpool. Um, I'm staying in a hotel because uh, my apartment still has showing no sign of me being able to move into it, which is a bit frustrating. And uh, it turns out that the, the, the hotel is actually very nice, but it's above a restaurant. And last night we had a jazz uh, ensemble uh. playing. It, it felt like 24 hours. It was probably only an hour and a half, but... Uh, yeah, I'm uh, I'm a big big music fan, as you know, but jazz not quite there yet. Yeah, most most jazz sounds like it's gone on for twenty four hours after about thirty five seconds. It's like, just pick a tune. That's all I'm saying. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, we're gonna get we'll probably get more angry tweets about not liking jazz, Kieran, than we've had about any other football related story. In the past four years, our first story, Kieran, it's a big news week, and um, unfortunately, some of the usual suspects yeah. uh, we're talking about again. Which is, if it's wearing for us, God knows what it must be like for their fans. But the, the, our first story, it's more of a governance story than a finance story, Kieran. But I think it's an important one because basically, it involves UEFA um, lying to itself. Yes, um, following the debacle of what happened in Paris in respect of Real Madrid versus Liverpool and the uh, the way that Liverpool fans were unable to get access to the stadium, the way that they were treated by the police, the way that uh, you know it, it was it was quite an unpleasant experience for for many many people involved, and and yeah, we're fortunate that things didn't turn out far worse. UEFA decided to hold an investigation into what went wrong. And initially, I think there was a lot of finger pointing between the French authorities and UEFA. And then UEFA slowly came down to realise that uh, the UEFA Champions League might involve UEFA taking some responsibility for what happened. Um and then we've had in in the last couple of days um, this this yeah, pretty pretty revelatory issue that some of the evidence that was being presented to the independent commission from UEFA um, was described as um, 
Not True by by Sharon Burkhalter Lau, who was the head of operations. And what we've got a classic case here of an institution wanting to take some responsibility, but of course now you've got factions within that institution. So the the people who are the um, head of operation operations are looking over the the overall uh, toward the overall uh, final. But then you've got those people who are responsible for safety and security. Now, you think they might be the people to whom fingers should be pointed. And it turns out that the person who is the head of safety and security for UAFD, for UAFD, a gentleman called, and apologies for pronunciation, uh, Jelko Pavliva, um, his background is that of being a personal bodyguard. So he's got he's not from a, a logistics of, of running a, a big tournament. Um, and it turns out that he just happens to be the best mate of Alexander Seferin, who is the president of UEFA. They're both from Slovenia. Nothing wrong with that. Yeah, I'm not saying anything wrong. Yeah, any reason. Um, I, th- I think Seferin was his best man at his wedding. Um, and, and Seferin has been accused of cronyism before. Uh, it turns out that during the hours before the match took place, and, and this was as you know, two or three hours, there appeared to be issues with fans getting to the ground and the way that they're being treated and so on. Um, but it looks like Mr. Pav- Pavliva, um, his focus was on the VIP area of the stadium. And uh, therefore, he was unaware of what was happening after, even though within the um, the safety and security WhatsApp group, uh, people were going, we, we've got a problem here. Um, he's been accused of not attending meetings uh, in terms of the run-up to the final by um, by Sharon Burke-Houter-Lau. Uh, so she feels that she's being made a, a scapegoat for what's happened. She's subsequently left UEFA. And, um, you know, fans fans were crushed. You know, fans were put in a really unpleasant scenario. And, you know, it, it's a fingers crossed that uh, we, we didn't have another football disaster in terms of what's happened tragically before at matches. Um, so I don't think UEFA is coming out of this particularly well. And, of course, if you are going to effectively promote people who whose background is inconsistent with that of running a a large logistics for a a big tournament, and you'd happen to be appointed by the person who's your best man, then eyebrows are going to be raised. Yeah, interesting as well, Kieran, that when these events happened, and as you say, it's only by the grace of God that they weren't worse, it's UEFA were very firmly for the first four weeks were of the opinion, and they told the world this, it was the fault of the French police, um, and the various other French security groups, probably not realising that they would have to be some sort of independent inquiry in which in which other evidence was taken. Uh, the, the thing that worried me most, yeah, and and to be fair, um, the VIPs, they, yeah, you, you don't spend your life becoming a VIP, Kieran, not to expect a certain level of security in the VIP lounge. Let's let's face it, you need to be more safer and secure than the people who haven't spent their whole life becoming very important. The, the detail that worried me is the WhatsApp group. That you know, the, the problems were first raised on the, the security 
Forces WhatsApp group uh, of UEFA. You think because most times my WhatsApp goes off, you go, oh, "Not them again." I can't be, and it, and it'll be sometime in the next day and a half that you you want to see what Terry's got to say about Roy Hodgson's reserve team losing to Man United. So that that didn't seem to be the most professional way of going about things. But and you suspect that there's there's more to come out of this, and certainly it's also thrown a light on the number of people from Slovenia that Mr. Seferin has appointed, which, as you say, is not an issue if they are perfectly capable of doing the job. A couple of Chelsea stories, Kieran. The first one, and I, I don't know why they've had to do this, but they've raised uh, £500 million pounds of money. That's right. Um, Chelsea, um, by all accounts, are, are generating this money from an organisation called uh, Ares or Ares Management. It's a, it's, it's a US, it's, it's £500 million bucks. Um, And then you can say, well, what's it for? And, of course, the first thing that people are going to say, well, Chelsea have just signed all of these players. Yeah, they spent over a billion uh, pounds under Todd Bowley's uh, group. So, so therefore, could it be linked to that? It would appear sort of probably more likely to be linked to some form of property-related issues. Um, yeah, we've said before that, that Chelsea now have, what, the, the fourth largest club stadium in in London, after you know, you've got West Ham, Spurs, Arsenal, and and their you know, its capacity is twenty thousand less, so so that puts them at a, a disadvantage. And in a world of FFP, yeah, that's going to make things more tricky going forward. So, you know, what what are Chelsea going to do? Are they going to expand Stamford Bridge? And they've tried to to buy some uh, some land. Um, but there's an objection coming in from the neighbours. And, and we've said this all along. You know, if you are living in that part of London, for people not familiar, you know, the house prices are very, very expensive, even by London standards. And therefore, you tend to be wealthy. You tend to be well, well connected. You tend to have had a successful career. And you are either a silver-tongued person or you've got lots of silver-tongued people who are uh, who who are within your network? So so therefore, you can understand why there could be objections from you know, local residents saying, "Well, we don't want two two years worth of uh, you know, reconstruction of the stadium. We're worried about light pollution. We're worried about the impact on match days because we're going from forty thousand to sixty thousand, and you're not increasing the the capacity of of local transport to cope and, and all of this. So I think there's been one objection already from somebody who who's a military veteran to Chelsea's proposals to, to acquire some land. The alternative to that is that Chelsea could move to Earl's Court. And this, this has been discussed in the press, but the people currently in charge of Earl's Court have gone, well, that's news to us. You know, we weren't thinking about a football stadium at Earl's Court. Um, so... What that $500 million is going to be used for, we're uncertain. At the same time, uh, again, apologies for, for pronunciation, uh, Jose Feliciano, who's one of the, the key operators as far as the new consortium who owns Chelsea are concerned, he's saying, um, well, what we want to do is that we want to cut the wage bill by $100 million. And I'm going, well, you know, it's it's around about $340 million at present. So you're cutting your weight. You ain't pl- planning to cut your wage bill by a third, increase the size of the stadium, and be successful. And, and football doesn't work like that. It, it's not like the NFL where you've got a very strict wage gap. Um, if, if 
if those proposals take place, then, then Chelsea's wage bill will be £150 million a year, less than that of Manchester United and Manchester City and, and potentially Liverpool as well, which means that if the, if the new owners aren't interested in winning trophies, I, th- I think they're going the right way about it. Uh, and I know that they've spent a lot of money and not won trophies already, but it, it does seem a very strange strategy. And it does, to me, indicate a club which doesn't appear to understand the industry. It, it says here, Kieran, that this £500 million they've acquired is subordinated debt. What's the difference between debt and subordinated debt? Right. Subordinated debt is, is effectively when you borrow money. If, if you've got a list of, of lenders, they have to form a pecking order. So if, if, I, if I was declared bankrupt today, what would happen would be that my building society, it, it would be the senior lender because it's got a mortgage on, on our property. And then you would go to, to the next tier of, of lender and so on. And it, you know, for, for a per, on a personal level, there'd probably only, you know, probably only be two or three. But on a corporate level, you can have five or six levels of lenders, effectively, which means that if you take out four loans, well, if, if the business goes bust, who's got first dibs, who's got second, third, and fourth? Subordinated tends to mean that you are pretty low in the pecking order as to who gets paid should the business fail. And if you are subordinated, if you are a subordinated lender, if you're going to be fourth or fifth in the pecking order, what you're going to do is you're going to turn around and say, well, I'm taking on so much more risk that I want to to protect myself by having a high rate of interest. So I suspect that if these loans do go ahead, then it could be that, that Chelsea will be paying some some pretty uh, significant interest rates on on the five hundred million dollars that they're that they're being linked with. Okay, it's not being confirmed, but um, yeah, I think the stories have come from fairly senior sources, including the FT. Right, and it, it does look though uh, as though Chelsea can finally raise some money from the front of the shirts. Yes, so I think this story will probably be out confirmed by the club, but you know the likes of Matt Law and some of the senior. Uh, Chelsea journalists have have said they they appear to have got a sign off here. Um, so this is with a, a company called Infinity Athletic. It's it's an American company which has only just been set up in 2023 itself. So some people are saying, well, well, where have they got their money from? Um, but they're involved in in sports data, and I think this is part of sort of the the growing link between artificial intelligence, um, VR the use of multiple screens and, and the gambling industry as well to try to put up data to, to help people to see perhaps what the, the coaches and, and the advisors see during a match. Yeah, and people might be prepared to pay for that. Um, Chelsea have have lost two potential sponsorship deals for the front of shirt um, already. One was with Paramount, but by all accounts that was vetoed by the Premier League because Paramount was seen as a rival to the, the Premier League's US uh, broadcast partner. The other one, and you've got to give Chelsea fans some credit here, it's with stake.com. And we've said on, on more than one occasion, um, you know, we, we've got a few reservations about the gambling industry and its close links with football. But when it comes to a, a Netherlands Antilles-based crypto casino, um, 
you've got offshore, you've got crypto and you've got gambling. You, you can understand why Chelsea, some Chelsea fans sort of express or well, that's not really something we're comfortable with. So if it's going to come through, I believe they could be wearing the shirts at the weekend if the deal is signed off. But if I was a Chelsea fan, um, I would be a bit miffed because they've already brought out three shirts this season. And I think it's indicative of the muddled organisation that A, the sponsor deal is coming through so late and B, um, that they've got two shirts which are dark blue. Um, you know, I thought one of the purpose of having alternative shirts was to distinguish it from the others. Uh, but if I paid 125 quid, and that's that's what Chelsea are charging, that's what or Nike are charging for the the pitch ready version, um, then after you know six weeks of the season, all of a sudden we're in a scenario in which um, you know the, the shirt is effectively out of date. Now, I quite like shirts without sponsors' names, but. If you want the real thing, then you, you can understand them. If now it could be that Chelsea will have a shirt amnesty and say anybody that wants the the shirt with the sponsor's name on, we, we'll do a swap for because, as, as we've discussed before, the cost of the shirt itself is probably somewhere in the region of twelve to fifteen pounds. So, you know, it's not it's not going to cost the club a lot, but it, it does seem a bit shambolic all around. Mm. I think their marketing people would like to point out, Kieran, they call it royal blue. They're very, they're very keen on the fact that it's royal blue. It's, it's not dark blue, even though it is dark blue, it's royal blue. Um, okay. Apologies again for the uh, comedy sound effects in the background. Uh, this time it was Ed slamming the door. Ed uh, takes after his mother in many ways, including the inability to sneak out of anywhere quietly. Um, he's also worked out that it takes exactly three minutes and 30 seconds to walk from our house to Norbury Station. So he allows himself three minutes and 35 seconds to do that, <laughs> which involves him bowling down. The idea of Ed walking downstairs is just beyond him. Why would you walk down something that you could run? Why would you close the door quietly when you know your dear old pop's doing a podcast? God love him. Um, that's all by way of putting off the next three stories, Kieran, which are... We're, we're talking a step. Let's, let's, let's get to the naughty stairs. Um Three of our usual suspects, the first one being Reading, unfortunately. Yes, I think it should be called Dreading because, <laughs> you know, when we put up the list of yeah. topics on the show, when we put it up on social media, I, I know fans have a habit now of sort of scanning and, and the first thing they do is, oh, we're not named. Yeah, and that's normally seen as a good sign because rightly or wrongly, I, I would say that our, our split between good news stories and bad news stories tends to be sort of 80-20 in favour of this doesn't look particularly great. Um, so Mr. Mr. Owner of, I'm not, I'm not even going to give him a, a name anymore, he's, he's um, of Reading and, and has by all accounts not paid HMRC and therefore this has triggered a transfer embargo um, from the authorities for, for, for another late payment. Um, there is concern that uh, it's, it's going to be repeated. And then the next step, if if you know, a transfer embargo in October isn't necessarily a problem because of the transfer window, but Reading have only just come out of a transfer embargo. So uh, it won't be lifted until the, the football authorities are satisfied with what's, paid, with what's happened. 
Uh, in the interim period, could be, could there be more points deductions? Well, yeah, we're recording this on the 27th of September. We just hope that everybody is paid on time, you know, uh, playing staff, non-playing staff, because it, it's it's their livelihoods that are at stake as well. But you've just got, there's a complete loss of confidence in the way, way that, uh, that Dai Yong is, is running uh, Reading, and he he says he's looking for alternative investment, but he's he's not getting very far. There were also reports I saw Kieran in a couple of sources say that um, the EFL are upset because he's failed to put up a bond that proved he had enough money to pay wages in the next week or so. So that's another ongoing issue, isn't it? Yes, it, it, it's been a it's been a series of, of broken promises. Um, I think that Reading's an attractive proposition to a prospective buyer because, you know, relatively new stadium, relatively close to London and, and the airports, especially for overseas owners. So so you can understand the appeal of the club, but he doesn't seem to be getting very far or he's being poorly advised as to the value of the club. Um, it, it's clear that we've reached a position where it's best if, if he moves on for, for all concerned because that that trust which should exist between fans and owners isn't there and hasn't been there for some time. Um, and he doesn't appear to have a, a strategy or the resources to, to, to fund the club in its present, uh, present position in League One. This episode of The Price of Football is brought to you by the AI-powered workspace Notion. What if you had access to tomorrow's tools today? In Notion, you do. It's the AI-powered workspace where any team can turn ideas into action. My career is sort of a bit like being a butterfly, and I'm always jumping from project to project. So therefore, Notion helps me from summarising meetings notes and automatically generating action items to getting answers to any question in seconds. If you can think it, you can make it. And Notion is for everyone. Whether you're a Fortune 500 company or a freelance football finance lecturer. You can try Notion for free when you go to notion.com slash price of football. That's all lowercase letters, notion.com slash price of football and start turning ideas into action. That's notion.com slash price of football. Hi, I'm Steve Lamack, and every week I'm joined by Music Allies Head of Insight, Stuart Dredge, on The Price of Music, the weekly podcast all about the money behind the music industry. In each episode, we discuss the very latest goings-on in the music business and dig into the finances behind the big stories. So whether you're a music lover who just wants to know more about what really goes on in the industry, or you're an aspiring musician, manager or label owner who wants some inside knowledge on how Spotify's financial model really works, or what the future holds for independent live music venues, this is a show for you. Subscribe to The Price of Music in your podcast app now. See you soon. almost describe Scunthorpe United as a sitcom, Kieran, except it's not remotely funny. Um, <laughs> developments this week, which are just bizarre. Yes. Um, you know, I, I've described Scunthorpe United as a brown bird yeah. um, in the past in terms of 
90% of, of the stories that we hear, we've decided not to cover. Now, some of them are starting to come out, you know, and, and we've sort of tried to, you know, when, when people have given us stories in confidence, we've, we've always tried to make sure that we didn't breach that confidence and so on. But um, some fans have been banned by the club in what can only be described as a, as a curt email, um, which at the end of it said kind regards. <laughs> Um, so, so that they've they've been they've been given they've been subject to banning orders. Um, there has now on social media been some alleged text messages coming from uh, the owner. Now we don't know whether these are true or not, but they don't they don't reflect particularly well on the owner David Hilton. If they are true, again, you know he he's denied it, so you have to respect that 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 position. Um, the club's Twitter feed was effectively deactivated for 24 hours and, and then is now now returned. Um, and I, I heard a story that um, a, a reporter had his phone snatched uh, away and thrown on the pitch at the weekend. So I, I don't know what the, the hierarchy of the club are trying to do, um, but it's it's not looking great and you know and, and we we've said that the owner's past is is his past and and he's he's very upset he feels that it should shouldn't be in the public domain or it, it, he doesn't see it as a matter of public interest that he's had uh you know he, he's 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 done jail time for fraud in the past and rehabilitation of offenders i absolutely understand that where that comes from but at the same time surely he understands that he will be subject to greater scrutiny even the the supporters group Facebook page has been effectively curtailed. It's been, it's been it's been paused. Such is the toxicity between what we have now have is, is a very divided fan base for people who think that David Hilton is all above board and and he's acting in the best interest of the club. And there's other fans who have looked into his history and said, "Well, we, we are concerned." Um, not necessarily, you know. He, he's he's he does have a, a criminal record historically because people can turn things around, but uh, in in the way that he's conducted himself, I believe that one of the directors who was recently appointed um, to the club has has now left. There's been allegations that uh, people have been approached to be directors, and they say, "Well, yeah, I am interested," and then they've been asked for money, significant amounts of money, if they want to be on the board again. All of this is is circulating. It's very very messy. No, but nobody knows the truth, and it, it it doesn't reflect well on the club. And there's a number of county court judgments outstanding as well. We don't know the position with regards to HMRC. It's towards the end of the month. You know, people have had late payment of wages, which ultimately have always been resolved. But everybody you can understand is very, very nervous. I mean, if club owners are going to go around banning every fan that criticised them, Kieran, we're going to see a lot of empty grounds, aren't we? And there's something, there's something slightly sinister about this because it implies that somebody at Scunthorpe basically is spending their time scanning Twitter for critical tweets and then responding to those tweets by finding out the email address of the person tweeting them and 
sending them, whether or not it says kind regards at the end. Yours faithfully, yours sincerely. Hope to see you soon. Smiley face emoji. Sending them quite terse emails saying they're no longer welcome at the ground. And then in a time of, you know, there's going to have to be a rebuilding process eventually. And you don't start that rebuilding process by by banning fans who are disagreeing with you. That, that's right. And the the period of ownership of Peter Swan, the, the predecessor to Mr. Hilton, that was quite a, an anxious one at times. Uh, Scunthorpe you know, went through the divisions in the wrong way and ended up in the National League. Um, you know, and, and for the sake of transparency, you know, I, I wrote an article for one of the newspapers a few years ago, which resulted in legal threats from from Mr. Swan for the for the paper which I wrote for. And um, you know, my my defence was um, I'm using facts from the accounts prepared by Mr. Swan to 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 give my observations. So so that, that was successful. So uh, you know, he, he's not a fan of me, but. I, I've, I've never said that he was a, a, a bad person. I think he was his decision making uh, wasn't necessarily always in the best interest of the club. But I don't think it was done on a malicious basis. Trying to work out the the logic and the strategy of the new owners, because there's been you know attempts to move to close down the academy to to shift some of the club to, to elsewhere and so on. There's an awful lot taking place, and we've had the failed. Uh, membership schemes, which have been you know, very quietly abandoned. Um, it, it just seems very messy. And a lot of people have left the club as well at various levels. And I'm talking about non-playing staff who perhaps have some experience of running uh, you know, what, what is a unique industry uh, participant. It's, it's just not great. If, if this little section of the pod was a gig, Kieran, let, let's call it Naughty Step in the Park, uh, live on BBC Six Music, then Reading and Scunthorpe would be the support acts. But unfortunately, we all know who the headliner is going to be. Um, so off we go to Essex yet again. Yes. Um, South End fans have uh, been very active, which I think is absolutely fantastic. They have, uh, some, some of them have been been to Ron Martin's house and they have not conducted themselves in a violent manner, but somebody effectively tried to blockade uh, Ron Martin from moving his car and Ron Martin sort of, he wasn't very happy about it. Um, where we are in terms of a prospective takeover, nobody's quite certain. I think potentially Ron Martin again is, is, is trying to ask for too much money. Uh, and it's just a sad, sad state of affairs. And we've got a, a winding up order which is being heard in you know in the next couple of weeks, which could end the club. Although I'm, I'm always positive, um, I, I think that that and that and we've been at the very you know it's, it's a bit like when you're watching a James Bond movie and there's a bomb about to go off and then you can see the the timer going down and, and with four seconds left James Bond manages to switch off the bomb I think we will go once again to that that brinksmanship perspective and Ron Martin seems to get some form of weird pleasure out of making uh, the life of fans and staff and uh, making their life a misery by not coming clean in terms of the future of the club. Yeah, and specifically this week, they appealed against the 10-point deduction, didn't they? And they, they're 
uh, that appeal was rejected. That that was rejected by the the National League, which which makes sense because they they had been late with their payments to HMRC. And you know w- what else can the National League do? It, it's very difficult. You know, people say, "Well, we'll find the owner," but the owners just don't pay the fines. Mm-hmm. So it and and then you say, "Well, you, you can't sack the owner because." It's a legal. It's a legal company, which is a separate legal identity to the owner. So it just just gets to be a complete mess. Mm. Uh, we've talked about the Venkis, Kieran, the owners of Blackburn Rovers, quite a lot. But in a refreshing twist, I don't think we've talked about Venkis London much before. But so, what's the what's the difference, and what have Venkis London been up to? Well, when the Venkis acquired Blackburn Rovers in 2010. They set up a separate company, and, and this is fairly standard. You think about when when Steve Parrish, you know, acquired Palace, he set up CPFC Twenty Ten yeah. Limited. So, so that is fairly standard procedure. But uh, Venkis London is effectively the parent company of the football club, and Venkis London have probably been the first club to therefore publish accounts relating to a football club for the season. 2022-23 and Blackburn have lost 20 million quid and it really it, it takes Venki's total losses now over the course of just over a decade to 200 million pounds and, and I've got I've got the secret rover um, added to our list <laughs> of, of very good contacts very reliable contacts as well and I said to the secret rover um is there some grand strategy? You know, they they have subsidised the club spectacularly, and he says, "I've worked at, at the club, I've worked with the club, and uh, I, I talk to people at the club on on a regular basis, and nobody understands what the Venkies are getting out of all this." And and Blackburn fans, who I think initially were quite anti Venkies. They're scratching their heads as well, and they're saying, "Well, they are spending the money. They're not necessarily spending the money particularly well, but it is indicative of the continued level of support." My only concern is that they didn't put a lot of cash into the club in twenty two twenty three, and we did report a couple of weeks ago in respect of the Benkies that they're under investigation. I think from the Indian authorities, and I think they've had some some of their assets seized but not Gary Neville's former house in Lancashire. Hmm. Um, I think we're going to have to employ somebody full-time, Kieran, to run all these moles, because we clearly can't do it between us. I'm I'm going to see if Gary Oldman's available, because I think he'd like that job, (laughs) running secret moles for a financial podcast. Um, Inter Milan pulled off a fairly uh, interesting trick, Kieran. They did very well on the pitch last season, but it seems very badly off it. Yeah, they, they got to the Champions League final, which was which was a fantastic achievement. Um, so you thought, well, you know, there's a lot of money being made because if, if you win the Champions League, I think Manchester City, uh, UEFA haven't published the results yet, but Manchester City will have got around about 120 million euro in prize money. And, and you think that uh, Internazionale won't be that far behind. And yet they still lost... 85 million euro and this is indicative of how nuts football is they're going that's really fantastic because the previous season we lost 140 
and you go, but you're still losing more than you know, a million and a half euro a week in a year in which you've been you know, had, had stellar results. Um, they are on the UEFA naughty step. They have what uh, UEFA call in inverted commas a settlement agreement, which means that they have to hit certain financial targets which are based on ratios. And, and my reservation there, and again, I don't want to sound too cynical, is that anything which involves satisfying ratios, normally there's a creative accounting solution as well as sort of a running the business solution to that. So, you know, I, I don't know what those targets are. They've, they've not been publicised, but they won't necessarily improve the club's finances spectacularly. It will be a case of we will do X and Y to make sure that we satisfy these particular financial metrics. So, uh, yeah, yeah, well done on the pitch. Car crash off it. Mm. Okay, you know who we haven't mentioned a lot recently, Kieran? And that's NFTs. We, we went through a phase where we were talking about NFTs. We were slightly ambivalent, perhaps, Kieran, about whether NFTs were a, a good thing or not. Um, I, I just wonder if there's been some sort of report recently which indicates how well these NFTs are doing. Well, funnily enough, Kevin, there has. Oh, good. And it says that 95% of the, you don't hear the word mentioned these days as often as, as it uh, took place in 2021 and 20. It says 95% of them are worthless. <gasps> and, and to give you, give you an indication, I, I give you the Liverpool Heroes NFTs. So, um, you know, there was a big, uh, a big fuss and, and they were being auctioned by Sotheby's, no <laughs> doubt. So every, everybody goes, oh, this, if Sotheby's involved, it must, it must be good. And um, the Mo Salah um, hero NFT, by all accounts, was sold for $88,000. Wow. So I thought, well, that's, that's very good. Let's, and I don't, I don't want to be too cynical because I think it's, I've always said, if, if you want to collect the digital equivalent of a Panini card, fill your boots. And just like I can clip Panini cards for World Cup years and so on, it's it, it's harmless fun. It's not an investment. It's just something to do with your time. Um, I've taken a look at a website which has listed um, all of the Liverpool Heroes uh, transactions in the course of the last seven days. And the total value of all of the transactions is $31. Wow. That's for, in my view, one of the top four or five football club brands in the world. $31 in a week. And you can understand why people are, yeah, and people aren't even saying that we've been taking, you know, their trousers taken down because nobody wants to admit that they've been mugged off. If you take a look at the John Terry uh, NFTs, their value has dropped by, by more than 99%. Um, and there's not there's not a lot more than ninety nine percent that you can go, so yeah, it, it's I, I feel I feel sorry for the people that bought into them who were sold a story that you are buying something well, you are buying something which is unique but something which will have some form of investment potential because it's manifested that that, that has not been the case. Mm. Uh, to be fair to John Terry, I think we should point out that other worthless NFTs are also available. Um, 
And that was good teasing there, Kieran. When you when you said ninety five percent, then you distracted yourself because there would have been people going ninety five percent are are worth a load of money. Oh, um, here's here's a, an unusual uh, scenario, Kieran, in a in a news story, um, which involves Russian billionaires and the word murky. Yes, um, I was on the Monday Night Club with. Uh, Mark Chapman, Ooh. Chris Sutton, get you. Rory Smith oh. from the New York Times, and Andros Townsend. Oh, a lovely Andros. Um, yeah. Who's, who's a really nice lad. Absolutely. And top boy. Yeah. Yeah. Very, yeah, he just came across so well. And he said um, on the show at the time, um, we're not sure where Farhad Mashiri's money's coming from, so, and so, sort of inferring that they're could have been coming from uh, Alicia Usmanoff. And he was sort of quickly shut down um, okay. because that might not have been true. Yeah. And that, that was all fine and good. And everybody is sort of you know, a wry smile to themselves. And then a report came out in one of the newspapers that uh, Farhad Mashiri's money does appear to be linked quite closely to uh, Alicia Usmanoff, the, 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 the billionaire, who has had his assets frozen. And I think that, you know, we don't know whether this story is true or not. Um, I believe Mr. Mashiri's uh, representatives have been asked for a comment by the newspaper that has broken the story. And they've said, not very much. And Alicia Usmanoff says, well, I'm not a director of the club, so I don't know what you're looking at me for and so on. But they were previous business partners um, in, in the sense that Mr. Mashiri sort of acted as as sort of you know finance stroke accounting for Mr Usmanov then um Alicia Usmanov bought Farhad Mashiri's shares in Arsenal and from the proceeds we thought that um Farhad Mashiri then bought his investment in Arsenal but now it's all getting murky and and there's accusations that uh, Farhad Mashiri has an investment in USM, which is Alicia Usmanov's company, but he's not paid for the shares. And, and it, it's all, you know, for, for Everton, a fantastic result at the weekend. And, and as fans were sort of saying, you know, for, for heaven's sake, just give us 24 hours to celebrate <laughs> yeah. a decent result, a decent performance, and enjoy going back to being fans again. And now yet another story appears. So, uh, we, we don't know the full details, but you know, journalists tend to be quite cautious before they put things out. You know, as, as, as we saw with um, you know the the, the reservations about uh, Andros Townsend's comments on, on Monday night, but which now appear to be perhaps to be based on on greater credibility than than they were perhaps given at the time. We will be ending this pod, Kieran, with my favourite story of the four years we've been doing it. And we are coming up to four years very, very, very shortly, matter of days, I'm told. Uh, um, But before that, we have three stories relating to football and gambling. You you may have heard me take a deep breath, forward slash sigh there. And I think, Kieran, everybody on the pod knows our attitude to to gambling. Um, So I think we, we don't need to rehearse those emotions again, but we do need to talk about these stories. You mentioned 
The first one, you mentioned Everton's fine result of the weekend, and that was at Brentford. Um, and on the Sunday following that game, immediately there were accusations about the Brentford owner and claims of double standards towards the FA, towards people that have benefited from betting in football. Yeah, we we all know that uh, you know, Tony's been suspended for gambling uh, offences by by the Football Association. Brentford are sponsored by a gambling company, and and Matthew Benham has made his money through smart odds, and he's a very very clever guy indeed. Um, the the accusation that's being made is that the the Football Association has one set of rules which apply to football players, and one set of rules which apply to football club owners. And what you effectively have to do, and, and the, the FA haven't publicised these rules, which again, from a transparency point of view, probably doesn't reflect them in a particularly good light, is that owners have to go by a code of conduct and they have to complete an annual, effectively an annual return to say, this is what I've done, this is what I've not done. Um, and that Matthew Benham... Um, has been accused of being involved with a a very small company called MSPP Admin, which operates one of these gambling syndicates. Now, you know Tony Tony Bloom at Brighton, his his Star Lizard also operates one of those gambling syndicates. We've got Bet Three Six Five and their ownership of Stoke, and clearly they've got uh, a history in relation to the gambling industry. And in fact. I think on the Monday show, one of the questions we were asked by a fan, you know, is there a conflict of interest? And I think what the the gambling organisations do is that they make sure that there are you know divisive walls so that you cannot leak information which is commercially sensitive, odd sensitive, though, so that the gambling part of the, the organisation benefits. But the accusation of double standards is that if it's okay for a footballer to work for a football club owned by somebody in the gambling industry, sponsored by the gambling industry, and he's not allowed to gamble themselves, but the owner is, it just doesn't really pass the smell test. So, so there's been no accusation of people taking advantage. But then if you take a look at you know, the Ivan Tony case, and also there's, there's been another player that's been um, you know, accused and, and has found guilty and so on. So... It just doesn't look great, even though no rules have been broken, because one rule for the very rich and one rule for the players. Interesting as well. You mentioned that question we had on the last pod about uh, Bet365 and their sponsorship at Stoke and whether there was a firewall between um, their their gambling activity, what the... preventing them lowering or raising odds on Stoke City based on inside information, which I pretty much refer to as a rhetorical question. And yet, literally the day after, it it stopped being a rhetorical question and, and it's shining another light on the relationship between the football and gambling. And we move, um, it's not that far from Brentford to Watford, but um, <sighs> the, the second time this product used the phrase parent company, but their parent company has been um, had some trouble this week around gambling, haven't they? Yes. Watford have a new sponsor called Mr Q. And Mr Q has been subject to an investigation by the Gambling Commission 
and has this week been given a £700,000 fine. I think it's in relation to vulnerable gamblers, relation to not taking enough care in relation to money laundering. Um, and also, I believe, into the use of Spider-Man as a means of uh, advertising the products. Sure, and you yeah. are not supposed to, to market your product to children. Well, as, as somebody that's got two granddaughters um, under the age of five who are both obsessed by Spider-Man, you can see, well, that, that just doesn't look good. So, again, it's an awkward position. And looking at Mr. Q's um, holding company, um, it is a very small organisation. I looked at their accounts in some depth, and yeah, I think they lost around about £5 million last year. They're lending millions of pounds, or they have lent millions of pounds to the directors of the parent company as well. It, it just looks very messy. And I understand it from the club's point of view. From the club's point of view, we have to take the highest offer, or we choose to take the highest offer um, from a sponsor because we're under pressure ourselves. We've got bills to pay, but it just looks bad. Mm. It, it sounds to me, Kieran, as though Mr. Q was quite savvy in not giving his full name. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, now, uh, people listening to this part around the world may not know that uh, Watford's big, big rivals are Luton. Watford and Luton really don't get on with each other. Um, but our final gambling story involves Luton Town and their chief executive saying he has no regrets about the money he's lost by rejecting gambling sponsorship. Yes. So this this is a story, uh, a comment from Gary Sweet. And we had Gary on the show a couple of years ago yeah. and he was a fantastic guest and he was he was very forthright. And, and, and I think that he has a strategy for Luton Town and the achievement of going from non-league to the Premier League is still you know, absolutely amazing. And it and it keeps the romance alive. Mm. Um, and he's also done this by saying, we're not prepared to take money from a gambling sponsor. It's cost us two to three million pounds. And and I, I get that because, you know, again, we, we talk to people in the industry. We're aware that the gambling industry has the biggest pockets. It is the most generous um, sponsors for, for, for those clubs, no disrespecting them, who, who are not the big six. You know, the, the big six can, can sign up with global brands. And I, I was talking to a chief executive of a Premier League club, and he says the way that the gambling companies tend to operate is they don't actually care whether it's Brentford or Wolves or Burnley or Palace or Luton or whoever it's going to be. They will say, we're prepared to sponsor you for, for one year or two years we'll probably pay somewhere in the region of seven to eight million pounds. And if the club says, oh, I want 10 million, they say, well, well, I'll, I'll go from Brentford to Burnley. Burnley will do it for a bit less. And if they go to Burnley and, and they try to sort of reverse engineer, they try to drive down the price, but, but they still themselves will, will be paying more than perhaps, you know, a car company or an aviation company or a fuel company or whatever it's going to be. So it, it is costing Luton money. People will say, well, hold on, they're getting £100 million pounds from, from TV uh, for this season. But they've still made a stand and, and he's he stuck to his principles, even though we're talking about uh, a seven-year, sorry, seven-figure sum. And there are other 
owners of clubs, uh, you know, Mark Palios at, at Tranmere and, and others have said, we we will not cross that particular line, even though the commercial temptation to do so is quite significant. Mm. Our last story, Kieran, as I say, is, I'm not even going to say arguably, I'm going to say it's definitely my favourite story. This is the best story we've ever covered, Kieran, and it takes us to York City. Yes, York City have appointed a director of fun. <laughs> and <laughs> it's it's great. Um, you know, they they've acknowledged they they've got a young fan and they he's going through some hard times at present and they said, Right, you're gonna be our director of fun and we're gonna make every day at York City a really good experience for you. Hats off to the club. You know, in a in a world in which you can be cynical, you you can be weighed down by sort of the jaundiced approach. Brilliant, and I think this is indicative: is that there are many, many good people at many, many football clubs, of and course. you know, because of the nature of the stories we tend to run, people might think it is all doom and gloom. But but well done, York City. He's, he's not just director of fun, Kieran. He's head of fun. He's he's, yes. he's five years of age. Five years of age. And he's in this responsible job. His name is George. He's the head of fun. We we did put in an interview request to talk to George about how much he was getting paid for this, but apparently he's in the sandpit putting plasticine up his nose, which is exactly where a five year old should be. But it's I, I just I just like you say, hats off to York City. Just whoever had that idea of, of making George the club's head of every club for now. I, I'm I'm gonna demand this, Kieran. If by the end of the season every club hasn't got a head of fun, I'm going to be really, really, really cross. Every club needs a head of fun. This pod needs a head. We've got Gary Oldman looking after our moles, and now we need somebody who's going to be head of fun. Uh, I'll gladly take suggestions from our listeners as to who our head of fun should be, Kieran. Um, it won't be Guy, obviously, for very many reasons. <laughs> uh, thank you to everyone who's donated to the pod via our Patreon page. If you'd like to make a small monthly contribution to the pod as well, that'd be very kind of you. You can do so by going to patreon.com slash price of football. And not only will you be doing a good thing, but you'll be getting access to our chat community and our regular quizzes. Patreon.com slash price of football. And if you do it quickly enough, you'll get it's, it's tonight, Kieran, isn't it? We've got a um, Thursday night. Thursday night, which is, which is uh, uh, tonight. So our, 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 our chat room will be happening from seven to eight. But you've, you've got to be an ultra to get on there. You've got a couple of hours. If you have a like, if you have a question you'd like answered in the show, and of course, email us at questions at priceoffootball.com. As we said before, three dates have now been confirmed for that Price of Football live show that we're doing in the coming weeks. It's the Winter Gardens in Blackpool on October the 12th, the Larry Theatre in Salford on October the 22nd, and the Royal Yacht on Jersey on November the 7th. To get your tickets, go to priceoffootball.com or the venues concerned. And in just a few days, Kieran, hopefully we will be announcing some dates for the spring, uh, which will definitely include London and will definitely include Ireland. So we're looking forward to that. And finally, if you'd like to pre-order our new book, Unfit and Improper Persons, or one of our other books, or get yourself a Price of Football t-shirt, you can find details on that website, priceoffootball.com. We'll be back on Monday with our questions pod. And and who knows, if, if George, the new head of fun at York, wants a question answered, we will happily put him to the head of the queue. Um, Absolutely. Uh, in the meantime, I shall hand you over, though, to Mr. Kieran Maguire for his customary farewell. Well, 
Thanks as always, folks, for all the support you give to the show in, in a variety of ways and, and the way that you, you engage. Um, and uh, Guy says that the pile of questions is, is bigger than ever, but we will make sure that George's goes to the top. <laughs> um, there's, there's various ways you can support the show, one of which is to give us a review. It doesn't matter what you say. So you could say you would rather have the show presented by Gary Oldman and also John Thompson, who is, of course, famous for being in charge of Jazz Club on the Fast Show. Yeah, also, I mean, that would be an interesting, that's a good pairing, but John Thompson does the best impression of a vintage car horn I've ever heard. It's, I mean, he's, he's a great impressionist and a really, really nice bloke, but his, his vintage car horn is uncanny. Really annoyed Steve Coogan's. Coogan's is nowhere near Thompson's vintage car horn. And that's a sort of, that's why I don't like being in the room with impressionists because they just, <laughs> they just get really cross. They have a one, they have a, exactly. A massive big honk off. They just get really cross if one of them can do a, an impression slightly better than the other one. You just have to sidle out of the room and leave them to it and go and talk to grown ups. Um, bye, everybody. Bye. The price of football. I'm for the